0: All right, we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15, verse 36, up through Acts 16, verse 5. It's a short little transitional section, and it's weird to kind of span the chapter break and then end so early on in chapter 16. But in the way Luke arranged the story... This little transitional section is the end of Luke's part four. We have noted several times how Luke has given these little summary statements scattered throughout the book that seem to indicate uh, the way he has organized his thinking. And so at chapter six, verse seven, right? So the word of the Lord kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase and so on and so forth. Well, then we started a new section. And so in chapter 9, verse 31, he says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace and continued to increase. And all these little statements emphasize how the church is growing. Well, at the end of uh, part 3 in 1224, you get, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Well, then we got the first missionary journey. And then we got the Jerusalem conference in chapter 15. And now in this little transitional section, we get just a little wrap-up of the the outcomes of the first journey and the beginnings of the second journey. And then we get in 16.5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily, another one of these summary statements. And so... We've said that seems to be the way Luke has organized his book, and it doesn't match our chapter breaks super well. We just somehow, when those chapter breaks were put in, they didn't pay attention to Luke's natural structure. But this little section seems to wrap up part four of the book of Acts, as Luke has structured the story. And so we're going to look at this short little transitional section, and it flows right out of the Jerusalem conference. There in our last recording, we looked at Acts 15, 1 through 35, where we had the Jerusalem conference, where the leaders in the church, particularly the church in Jerusalem, along with Paul and Barnabas, debated and wrestled with do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be saved? Do they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? And their conclusion was, absolutely not. They don't have to do that. Justification is through faith in Jesus Christ according to his grace. That's what they concluded. Well, coming out of that then, they sent Barnabas and Saul back to Antioch along with two representatives from the Jerusalem church. They delivered the letter they wrote uh, and then Uh, Judas and Silas stayed there for a little bit, did some ministry in Antioch, and then returned back to Jerusalem. Well, at some point, it seems like Silas must have come back to uh, Antioch because of what unfolds in this little transitional section. So it's not totally clear. We're not told when that happened, but it's been a while. Uh, A 300-mile trip in their day would have been about a month journey and then a month back. So we're minimum a couple months from the end of the Jerusalem conference, till this little section happens. So here's the way it unfolds, verse 36. Now, after some days, and so that's just a real general chronological marker to say, several months later, right? We don't know exactly how long, just some time, some days. Uh, and because of the the length of the travel, and because Silas... Uh, Presumably being here in Antioch and all of that, it's probably been two, three, four months. So after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so Paul proposes to Barnabas, let's go back and check in on the churches we planted on our first trip. And so it's been, at this point, all told. A year or two since the end of the first missionary journey. So Paul wants to go back and visit those churches and see how they're doing. And it's important for us to notice that because it reminds us that what becomes the second missionary journey, because that's where we're at, we're about ready to get that, what becomes Paul's second missionary journey, the initial impetus of it is to First, go and revisit the churches that he planted on the first missionary journey to build them up, to make sure they're doing all right. Uh, They're actually going to deal with the issue that was dealt with in Antioch and deliver the letters, the decrees and the letter from the Jerusalem conference. And so he wants to go back and take care of the churches in uh, Cyprus and Galatia. And that becomes really the springboard for the second missionary journey. And it's important for us to see that, that the second missionary journey was begun to make sure that the churches that they started on the first journey were doing well. So, Paul pitches the idea to Barnabas. Let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in Cyprus and Galatia. Well, verse 37 says, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. So, Barnabas is good with the idea of going back and visiting the churches, but he wants to take John Mark with them. Now, again, that, that would seem to suggest that John Mark is uh, here in Antioch as well, that he, he's come from Jerusalem at some point and come up to Antioch. And Barnabas... Remember, John Mark is his relative, so he's like, let's take him with him. Well, P- Paul does not like this idea at all. Verse 38, but Paul was of the opinion they should not take along with them this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with him to the work. And it turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And so, Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul is strongly opposed to the idea, no, we should not take him. And notice it says, verse 38, Paul was of the opinion they should not take him who had deserted them in Pamphylia. If you recall on the first journey, they finished ministry in Cyprus. They sailed north. They landed in Pamphylia before they headed... uh, inland into Galatia, and John Mark left them, and he returned back to Jerusalem and went home. Now, we are never told exactly why. We gave some speculation as to perhaps why John Mark left them, but whatever the reason John Mark left, we noted there, and we restate it here, that it had to be a good enough reason that it could be described as deserting them and had not gone to the work, and it had to be a big enough reason to lead to Paul feeling so strongly about it that he's willing to end a ministry partnership with Barnabas that has gone on at this point for 8, nine, ten years. That's a big deal. So it can't be just, you know, John Mark kind of got homesick or John Mark got physically ill. This is a big enough reason that Paul is just sternly opposed to it. My own personal speculation that I offered then, I'll restate it here, is that John Mark is part of the problem that led to the Jerusalem conference, that John Mark was not comfortable because he's part of the Jerusalem church, deeply conservative, right roots, and he's part of, and he wasn't comfortable direct ministry to the Gentiles apart from the synagogue, apart from the law or any of that. I just wonder if that was the case. Don't know for sure. Uh, but he leaves, he goes back to Jerusalem, when Paul and Barnabas finish the first journey and land in Antioch, all of a sudden people from Jerusalem come and start giving Paul and Barnabas grief for direct ministry to the Gentiles. Where did they learn about that? Well, most likely John Mark. Now, we're not, we don't know. That's speculation. We're reading between the lines, but that would explain why Paul is of such a strong opinion that no, I'm not taking him with him on this trip because of he he just about undermined my entire ministry. And so Paul is opposed to taking John Mark. Verse 39 says it turned into a sharp disagreement with Barnabas. Like Barnabas was like, no, no, no. Because you could tell from Barnabas all throughout Acts, he believes the best in people. I can imagine Barnabas even saying, Paul, do you remember when no one wanted to believe in you? And I was the one that, you know, helped make you uh, believable and introduced you to the apostles. So There's been a long history here, but no, Paul is opposed to it. And so they separated from each other and each go different ways in ministry. Now, the good news is the separation wasn't permanent. We learn, for example, from 1 Corinthians 9, 6, we see Paul praising Barnabas. Or Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Philemon 24, we see that Mark is with Paul. Or 2 Timothy 4, 11, Paul says, get Mark, he's useful for me. And so even though there's tension here at this moment, and even though the tension is so deep, it leads to a separation in a long-standing ministry partnership, the tension isn't permanent. And in the grace of God, they manage to reconnect and work together later in Paul's ministry. But for now they separate. And Barnabas took Mark, who's with them there in Antioch, and he sailed down to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is originally from. And that was where they first started on the first missionary journey. So he's going to go visit those churches. Uh, but Paul chose Silas, who again, has must have come back from Jerusalem at this point, and he's here. So he chose Silas and left Antioch, after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So this ministry partnership is split up. They're going to go separate directions. Paul now chooses a new traveling companion. He chooses Silas, um, who... Silas is really an ideal ministry partner for Paul at this point. Um, He's well connected to the Jerusalem church, which helps right, with some of the stuff that Paul has had to deal with. We'll learn later that he's evidently a Roman citizen, which is helpful. So that'll be useful. We've already been told he's also a prophet. So he's skilled in speaking the word of the Lord and has the gift of prophecy. So he's a great traveling companion. So Paul chose Silas. And he's going to now travel with Paul here on the second missionary journey. And they're sent out by the church there in Antioch. And they're being entrusted to the grace of the Lord. And so the church in Antioch blesses this new ministry venture that they're going to go out on. And verse 41, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so he he goes not by water. He goes by land. He travels north and around the bend. Um... Uh, So the northern part of Syria, and then when he starts to head west, he's now into the region of Cilicia, which, when did churches get started there? Well, presumably uh, uh, before, right, he started the first missionary journey when he was doing ministry in his hometown of Tarshish and the surrounding region, because that's in Cilicia. So they go visit some churches there before they head then into Galatia, where they started churches on the first journey. And so chapter 16, verse 1 says, now... Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. So now we're at the eastern edge of Galatia with churches that Paul started on his first missionary journey. So we've gone through Syria, we've gone through Cilicia, and we've come to the cities of Derby and the city of Lystra, those two cities that were the, the last two cities mentioned in the account of the first missionary journey. Well, there in Lystra, Paul picks up another traveling companion, And a disciple was there, there is Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek and he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul comes to Lystra and he meets Timothy. And notice Timothy is well spoken of in the region of Lystra and Iconium. He's got a good reputation. And so we don't know a whole lot about Timothy's background, but we do know some things about his family. A couple things are mentioned specifically here. His mom is... Jewish by heritage, and she's become a believer in Jesus, but his father is not a Jew, his father is a Greek. And so we know that from here. We also know from 2 Timothy 1.5 what Timothy's mom's name is. Timothy's mom's name is Eunice, and we even know his grandmother's name, Lois. And we know from 2 Timothy 1.5 that they were devout Jews, they were steeped in the scriptures, and they taught Timothy the scriptures during his growing up year. So he's, he's the... Child of a mixed marriage, and yet his grandmother and his mother are faithful to God and faithful to the scriptures, and they passed on the scriptures to Timothy, and now at some point they've become followers of Jesus. Presumably, they became followers of Jesus on Paul's first missionary journey. So here now, Paul meets Timothy. Timothy has a good reputation uh, and is well spoken of, and Paul actually wants to take him on uh, his missionary travels with him. He wants him to become another one of his traveling companions. Uh, And yet, Timothy's background as being from this uh, mixed marriage of a Jew and a Gentile creates a bit of a problem. Look at verse 3. Paul wanted this man, that is Timothy, to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And this is fascinating because we've just finished the episode of the Jerusalem conference where the whole impetus was you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But now here we are and Paul wants to take Timothy with him and Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him because everyone knew that his dad was a Greek and his mom was a Jew. And it really raises the question of why we just had this conference, Paul, and you just defended that people don't need to be circumcised. So why circumcise Timothy? The issue, and you hear it in the way it's worded here, seems to be for the sake of really just a ministry expedience. It's not for justification. It's not the same sort of issue that was being dealt with at the Jerusalem conference. Here, the issue is that all the Jews who lived in that surrounding area, they knew that his father was a Greek. In other words, he, he was sort of a man without a land. He's in between. He's He's got a Jewish mom. He knows the scriptures, but he's got a Gentile dad. And every all the Jews in the area know that. And so in order for Timothy... Not to be an offense to the Jews, Paul takes him and circumcises him. The rationale really is the same rationale of the four prohibitions from the Jerusalem conference. There are Jews in these regions who are going to not respect Timothy, not listen to Timothy, and it's going to undermine the effectiveness of Paul's ministry if Timothy goes on uncircumcised. And what this shows us is the flexibility of Paul and his ministry strategy he'll go toe to toe and he'll uh, there's certain things he will fight for certain hills he will die on and requiring gentiles to become jews and keep the law of moses that's a hill he's going to die on but in this case for timothy to actually be useful in ministry and and present no offense to the jews paul's going to circumcise him uh, and it reminds us as F.F. F. Bruce once said that the truly free man is not in bondage to his freedom. Paul is flexible. As Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, to the Jews, I became like the Jews so that I might win some of them. And that's really the hope here with Timothy. Timothy is sort of an offense to the Gentiles because of his Jewish background. He's an offense to the Jews because he's uncircumcised. And in order to remove unnecessary barriers to the gospel in Timothy's case, Paul takes him and circumcises him. It also speaks of Timothy's incredible willingness and commitment and desire to serve Jesus in this way. Like circumcision, as an adult, not a pleasant sort of thing to undergo. And yet Timothy chooses to do that because it's best for the gospel. A bit of a side note, but I think it's important to, to mention, when Paul writes Galatians, and remember, he's writing to the churches in this very region that Timothy is from, right? So these churches are the recipients of the letter of Galatians. When Paul writes that, it's clear that he's responding to an accusation of being a man pleaser and speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Where did that accusation come from? Now, we're not told, we only hear one side of the conversation in the letter to Galatians, but I wonder if part of what led to that is the circumcision of Timothy. Like, in other words, well, sometimes when it's convenient, Paul circumcises people. But when it's not convenient, he doesn't circumcise them. You never know about Paul. He's going to do whatever is the easiest and what's the most convenient for people. I think some of Paul's opponents... Uh, seized upon this moment with Timothy and tried to use it to undermine Paul's credibility. Now, that's reading between the lines. That's a bit of a guesswork. So we can't put a whole lot of stock in that, but it makes sense of the data that we see both in Galatians and here. And so either way, Paul takes Timothy at this point. And he circumcises him so that he can take Timothy with him. And this begins an important ministry partnership. And from this moment on, we're about 50, 51-ish AD, clear up till Paul's death in the mid-60s. So for about 15 years, Timothy is one of Paul's closest companions in ministry. From there, then, Luke summarizes what happens as they travel through the region of Galatia, verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities... We're talking Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and Antioch, the places where they started churches on the first missionary journey. While they were passing through those cities in Galatia, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. And so they're recounting the events of the Jerusalem conference and giving those four prohibitions to them. Again, this explains... Uh, Why Paul doesn't mention it in the book of Galatians? Some have raised that question. Why didn't Paul mention the the findings of the Jerusalem conference and those four prohibitions if Galatians was... Uh, written to these same churches and written after the Jerusalem conference and the answers because he already gave them he already reported them he doesn't need to mention them again because they already are familiar with those things they've already heard that and so as they're traveling they're mentioning what the 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 leaders in Jerusalem concluded and with that then Luke has wrapped up part four of his story of how the gospel is beginning now to move into the ends of the earth and so he gives a summary statement in verse five so the churches we're being strengthened in the faith, and we're increasing in number daily. And so part four of the book of Acts is now complete, and Luke has demonstrated how the church continues to grow and expand throughout the Roman Empire. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a crowd-funded Bible teaching project that's reaching people all around the world with clear, down-to-earth, in-depth Bible teaching. And it's made possible by the generosity of people just like you. So if you're one of the people who support this ministry, thanks a ton. And if you're someone who's been impacted by this ministry, would you prayerfully consider giving a gift or making a monthly donation to help this ministry continue to grow and increase?